Let us pray. You have given us wonderful promises of your love, O Lord, promises to forgive us and to deliver us and to give us hope. And we give you thanks that not one of them has failed. But we are inclined to forget these promises and to seek certainty elsewhere. Hold your word before us and nourish us with it often. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is today's psalm, the 119th psalm, the seventh stanza, verses 49 through 56. We read again in Jesus' name. Remember the word to your servant because you made me hope. This is my comfort in my misery that your saying makes me alive. The proud denigrate me to no end. From your law I have not turned away. I remember your judgments from long ago, O Lord, and I take comfort. A raging heat seizes me because of the wicked, those who forsake your law. Songs they have been to me, your engraved commands, where I am lodging. I remember in the night your name, O Lord, and I keep your law. This has been for me that I keep watch over your regulations. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. The account of the flood is frequently turned into a child's toy with cute smiling animals that come in pairs, a colorful, joyful boat with one or more entrances through which the animals and people can be made to pass, and maybe it even floats in the bathtub. And that rainbow just begs to be used for children. But I find myself imagining that for the living beings living aboard that floating wooden box, things were probably really terrifying. All the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The flood kept coming on the earth for 40 days. The waters became deeper and lifted the ark up high until it floated high above the earth. The water kept increasing and overwhelmed the earth and the ark was carried along on the surface of the water. The water overwhelmed the earth. All the high mountains that were under the entire sky were covered. The waters rose more than 20 feet above the mountains and covered them. All living creatures that moved on the earth perished, including birds, livestock, wild animals, every creeping thing that crawls on the earth, and all mankind. And not only was there this immense destruction all around them while they were locked tight inside, but this flood remained on the earth for 150 days. I imagine it was frustrating, lonely, and simply scary. But then we hear these comforting words. God remembered Noah. In our stanza of Psalm 119 today, we pray that God would remember us, and would remember His promises. And we ourselves wish to remember Him and those same promises. The Hebrew word for remember, zachar, is one of the most common words in Hebrew that begins with this letter Zion, which makes the Z sound, which is the first letter of each verse in this stanza, Zion. And this word, zachar, occurs three times in this stanza. So memory is a powerful theme here. And we might expect such a thing to come up in a psalm that's all about how important God's Word is in our lives. But we would probably think 
that the most important part is how we are supposed to remember God's word. But in fact, the central point is that God remembers his word to us. And his remembering gives us life. It's after this fact that we remember and are comforted. Remember the word to your servant because you made me hope, we pray. It's the prayer of someone who's been made to wait for the fulfillment of God's promises, whether it's the 150 days of floodwaters or a year of pandemic or any period of time in pain and difficulty while it seems as though God has fallen silent. But you said, God, we can almost feel ourselves shaking our fists up to the heavens. You promised that you would take care of me. You made me hope. And it's true, he did make us hope. So you also have sorrow now, Jesus said, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. And he also said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Some days, some months, some years, I find myself waiting for these things to come true. While we know that God doesn't forget, because he said, certainly I, the Lord, do not change, sometimes it feels as though he has forgotten. But that's where he gives us exactly what we need. This is my comfort in my misery, that your saying makes me alive. Now, first of all, notice the misery. There's a lot of misery in this stanza and in this whole song and in the lives of God's people. That's some of the comfort that you and I can take when we find ourselves in misery, that we're not alone. Misery loves company, as the saying has it. And this is how people have been since the fall into sin. Just think about, again, that initial division between the faithful Abel and the jealous Cain, the people of God, suffered. The early Christians were heavily persecuted. And at one time, King Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And he was only the first of the apostles to die a martyr's death. And all the rest, except John, would die similarly. You and I face persecution as well in different ways. Think of the pressure to remain silent about the truth of God's word, the threat of ostracization that would happen should you voice your faith, and how we pray the proud denigrate me to no end. From your law I have not turned away. The Zadim are the villains of this psalm, the proud. We might think of the month of pride in June, Certainly the most visible pressure that stands against Christian confession of faith, but there's also so much more to this. Think back to that line that said, Your saying makes me alive. You and I are like Lazarus, or like the widow's son, or like Jairus' daughter. And all it takes is a single word uttered from our Lord's mouth to call us out of the grave, which he does provide. Because those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 
This means that God knew you before the foundation of the world. And He knew His choice of you. He determined to make you like His Son, which means that through your own crosses, you would mirror Jesus' cross, leading to the resurrection on the other side of the cross. And He called you through His Word. And by His means, He justified you. He declared you righteous. And therefore, He is also determined to give you glory. And this fact led Paul to say just a few verses previously, For I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So yes, we suffer. We are persecuted and denigrated and in pain. But this is not worth comparing with the promises that will be fulfilled for us. And the promises that are already fulfilled for us. Such promises include that you are forgiven. You are dead to sin and alive to God. You are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. There is nothing that you have to do because Jesus already took away your sins. Jesus rescued you from death and brought you to His own side so that you are adopted as God's sons and daughters. By His grace alone, because of Jesus' merits alone, delivered to you by the Holy Spirit in the Word alone, connected also to the holy sacraments that Jesus instituted, to be received alone by the faith that the Holy Spirit created in your heart, God saved you. What's worth comparing to that? Think about the flood again. The most famous part of it comes at the end, when God promised, I have set my rainbow in the, in the cloud, and it will be the sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring a cloud over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the cloud, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of every sort, and the waters will never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow will be in the cloud. I will look at it, so that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of every kind that is on the earth. Now one who is proud is going to look at himself. And he'll, go, he'll see that rainbow and he'll say, I'm, I'm paying attention. I know that you promised this. I'm holding you to it. And I'm holding strongly to that faith. But in God's promise, he hasn't pointed it at you. This bow, he hasn't notched an arrow in that bow, pointed at you with a threat that if you don't remember, he's going to get you. Where's that bow pointing? Up. At himself. The burden is on God alone. He will keep his promise. And so we look at that law that God has made. From your law I have not turned away. All the pain and suffering and persecution that we face will fight hard to pull us away, to distract us, cause us to despair. But the law, the word of God, his certain and everlasting salvation scripture remains before us. Our prayer is that this might remain true for us. May God keep us steadfast in looking only to His Word, which gives us comfort, gives us life, and not to look at the death of the world around us.
I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is how God's memory relates to our memory. It's His remembering that gives us life. And by His Spirit, He causes us to remember so that we are given comfort. I remember your judgments from long ago, O Lord, and I take comfort. How long ago? In eternity, we might say. He did this when He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, so that we would be holy and blameless in His sight. In Him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and in Him, when you also believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. God determined this in eternity. He accomplished it in Jesus on the cross. And He gives it to you in time, in the Word. So that you are sealed and declared innocent, righteous, just, not guilty. Remember that. Remember that, that Jesus died for you and rose for you and you have been baptized and you have heard the word and you have tasted your Lord's body and blood. Take that comfort. Nachamu, nachamu, ami is the way the Hebrew reads for that passage in Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people. Sounds almost like a lullaby in Hebrew. Nachamu, nachamu, ami. God wants you to take comfort in this. He's not an unfeeling God, but a compassionate God. And the proof of that fact is that Jesus, the very God of very God, suffered for you, which is what compassionate means. He suffered with you. And He knows what strong things we feel. For example, a raging heat seizes me because of the wicked. Those who forsake your law... See, we're angry, we're infuriated, we're inflamed with rage when we see people blatantly ignoring the pathway of God's law. And first, we're angry because they desecrate God's holy things. Jesus' anger was the perfect form of this when he said, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. But there is also a less pure form of anger that accompanies ours because we are still sinners. We are angry because we don't indulge ourselves in our sinful desires and how dare someone else have such impure fun. And we're angry because we want to support our loved ones in whatever lifestyle they've chosen even though it goes apart from God's law but we have torn loyalties. Here's how some of that comfort comes in another way. Songs they have been to me, your engraved commands, where I am lodging. Something I think of often is one of the times the disciples were in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I can't encourage it enough that you memorize hymns. Teach your children to memorize hymns as well. Not only are they easier to keep in memory due to the melodies that are attached and the rhymes, but they also communicate the truth in such a way that we can mentally internalize it. 
I heard a story once about another pastor who, when he was a young man, got into a theological debate with a Roman Catholic friend about good works. And they went back and forth until that Catholic friend said, if you get to heaven only by faith, then why would anybody do good things? Why not just live your life the way you want? You're going to heaven anyway. And while initially that was very difficult for this young Lutheran man to answer, eventually he had the response he needed when he recalled a hymn that he had memorized several years earlier. And we're going to sing this verse in a few minutes. Faith to the cross of Christ doth cling and rests in him securely, and forth from it good works must spring as fruits and tokens surely. Still faith doth justify alone. Works serve thy neighbor and make known the faith that lives within thee. In this verse, he understood that works are the natural outpouring of faith. Serving the neighbor and showing the faith that a person has. So see, you and I can remember our hymns, singing them to our children and to ourselves and to all of our loved ones as lullabies in the darkness of this world. The power of music is well known. And when that music is filled with the Spirit of God and His Word, that power is incalculable. And so in the middle of the night, when ghosts and goblins come out and robbers rule, we remember the name of the Lord. I remember in the night your name, O Lord, and I keep your law. Interestingly, here the Hebrew literally says, I remember in the night your name, Yahweh. We remember God's name, and we say it. God's name is his revelation to us just as much as his word is. In our catechism, we say God's name is hallowed when his word is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God live holy lives according to it. This grant us, dear Father in heaven. We remember his name and we remember his promises, his gospel, his salvation. That is what gives us the comfort and strength to keep his law in faith. We see this in Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God, whose name itself means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is your salvation. As the apostle writes, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So remember his name. Remember what he has done. The stanza concludes with this verse. This has been for me that I keep watch over your regulations. The eight various terms for God's word used in this psalm are always used with deliberate intent. In this case, it's the word regulations, which imply God's oversight and rule and ordered path required for our lives. Regulations, I think, far more clearly as law and commandments than any of the other words. So here we're saying, I keep your law not because you need me to, not because it's something that's required for me to earn my salvation, but it's good for me to. That's why we keep it. It's good for me. It's a duty. We're not saved by keeping God's law. Instead, it's a comfort. And it's a promise. And it's a joy. Think of another sense of keeping watch over the Word of God, and that's memorizing it again. 
We ask our catechism students to memorize all the parts of the catechism, including several direct Bible passages and some hymns. If they don't memorize at all, do they flunk out? Does that mean they don't get to graduate? They won't get into a good college? They won't qualify for a good job? They won't even make it into heaven? Not at all. In fact, there are plenty of students confirmed who have not managed to memorize all of it perfectly, word for word. Why do we push it? Why do we encourage them to do that every year? Because it's for them. When you memorize your catechism and Bible passages and hymns, it's for you. Remember all the dangers that surround you in this world, and then follow the Apostle's advice. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to take a stand on the evil day, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness fastened in place, and with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace tied to your feet like sandals. At times, at all times, hold up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And of course, as we do so, we keep coming back to the gospel. That what we are remembering at the core is what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. He kept those regulations perfectly in our place. He is the Word who gives us life. In another psalm of David, and it's another acrostic at that, but it's shorter with only one line per letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the line that begins with this letter, Zion, reads, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your mercy, for they are from eternity. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your mercy, remember me, because of your goodness, O Lord. We see memory is key once again. Zachar is here repeated three times in that psalm, which has only one line per letter. We pray for God to remember his promises to forgive and to save. And I did quote also the next line in that psalm as well, which begins with the subsequent leader, letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Chet, but it also includes that Zachar. And this time it includes it in the negative. Do not remember the sins of my youth. Now this is a miracle of God's grace. That the omniscient God does not know about your sins. That's because they've already been punished. Jesus died with them. You are forgiven. In Jesus, God was pierced on his promises, like that bow in the clouds pointing at his own heart. He died so that you would live, and he lives so that you will live eternally. He will remember this forever. He remembers you. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.